you will pray with me, please. Lord, you are the one that our hearts always hunger for. Truly, our hearts are restless till we find our rest in thee. Lord, we ask that as we consider these truths about serving you this day, that we would find rest in the toil, that we would see this paradigm of losing our lives, that we may find it in you. Please bless the proclamation of your word. Please give me clarity of mind and thought. I pray that you would grow us in your likeness. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, my church family. It is absolutely beautiful this morning. I was praising on the way in, just in wonder at the trees. It looked fake. It was gorgeous. God's handiwork is amazing. It is always a privilege to be with you and serve you through the proclamation of our great king's words to us, and that's what we are doing at this moment. We are hearing from our Lord, from his word. As many of you already know, Pastor Logan has been down and out with a pretty nasty sickness, and it looked as though he was going to be able to be back with us this week, but unfortunately on Thursday night he took a sharp nosedive again, no pun intended as it's kind of a sinus infection and some other problems. But he did have to make the difficult decision on Friday to step back from the pulpit once again this week. We pray that, Lord willing, he should be back in full swing next week. So, in short order, the elders asked if I would be willing to share the truths that uh, were from the devotional. We went over this last Wednesday night at our midweek gathering and and prayer meeting. And since they asked me, I felt like I didn't have any other choice, so (laughs) I said yes. Our message today will be a little different and a little shorter as it was originally designed as more of a topical and devotional uh, format for our Wednesday night gatherings. But nonetheless, I do believe that these truths are timely for us in this day and age, and they're definitely truths that I must preach to myself continually, and again, for instance, today I'm preaching myself to myself these same truths, so I want to... Uh, consider this morning with you all our approach to our Christian service. Duty is one of those words that we don't like to think of oftentimes, but God has given us good works to do. And my prayer this morning and my hope for us in hearing this message is that each one of us will be renewed in our vigilance to evaluate our attitudes in our service to Christ and his church. And as we evaluate our attitudes, I hope and I pray that we may find increased joy, drive, and peace in our service to him, no matter how seemingly insignificant the task may be. I would like to begin our time together by pointing out just a few observations of common tendencies we see in the culture around us. And as we consider these tendencies, we will be confronted with some of our own lurking weaknesses when it comes to serving. And then after we identify these weaknesses, we're going to look to Scripture and see what Christ has to say about these tendencies. And then we're also going to look at what his prescription is for the cure of these tendencies. And then finally, today we'll conclude this morning with a few thoughts of application regarding our own thoughts about and our own approach to service. So to begin, I would like to just take a few minutes and reflect and rehearse with you on some 
easily found observations of the culture we live in. These are pretty low-hanging fruit. As you know and will not be surprised, we live in a culture that is largely driven and motivated by entertainment. We love to be entertained. And the root of much of the entertainment industry, what fuels it, is this insatiable and endless thirst to be amazed by the performances and incredible talents of other people. There's entire shows devoted to this. America's Got Talent. It's been on the air for 17 seasons. This is a perfect example of this thirst to be amazed and entertained with the great abilities of other people. Why are, these, why are we this way, though? Humans just love to see what other humans can do. And frankly, in our flesh and our own sinful tendencies that lurk, we love for people to see what we can do and to give us admiration and praise for it. How many of you here, it's kind of a dying thing nowadays, how many of you here grew up with talent shows in your schools growing up? I see some hands. It's mostly 40s and up. So <laughs> talent shows. This was a normal part of growing up for at least half of us in this room. It was a yearly opportunity for everyone in the school to show off just what they can do or maybe cannot do so well. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Some kids were incredible at, they w- at, at what they did and they were able to amaze the audience. But on the other hand, there was always that kid who had no business getting up there, singing wildly off key, <laughs> clearly not knowing a B-flat from a flat tire, And yet at the end, there was always the compulsory compulsory applause that would follow. And that off-key kid would proudly walk off the stage thinking he had nailed it, (laughs) not realizing the applause was not so much an affirmation of the greatness of his performance, but more of a display of the audience's relief that the painfully awkward experience had finally come to an end. Even if you never have experienced a talent show in this room, you're no stranger to this scene, just in a different way now, in a more endless way. In many ways, social media has become a giant cyber talent show. There's now an opportunity before an ever-growing audience to constantly put on display just what it is that we can do, project an image of ourselves that we hope will gain the approval of others, and then we can receive instant feedback and gratification for what we do well. We're also people that love sports. Some of us are obsessed with seeing what the next amazing record will be, what the next gold medal will be. We're in the Super Bowl season, who the Super Bowl winner will be, World Series, World Cup winner. And this goes just beyond team sports. Extreme sports are also wildly popular because of this insatiable insatiable appetite to be amazed with human ability. And this list can go on and on. And truly, it, it is incredible to look at what God has allowed us and created us to do. It's amazing to see how God has blessed humankind with the ability to do amazing things. Unfortunately, though, it can also feed a part of our sin nature that will hinder us in our service to our king. So I brought these cultural observations up to you this morning because of the significant example they are of what is motivating to our flesh. These societal trends shape people's thinking in what they do and why they do it. In addition, whether we want to admit it or not, 
this unhealthy thirst for the, appro- for the approval of man all around us can greatly affect our own heart attitudes, especially when it comes to Christian service. So we must weigh out. We must evaluate our hearts. We must ask, what is my motivation? Why am I doing this particular act of service? Who am I serving and why? Am I doing this for the approval of man? Or am I doing this for God? Is this service motivated to demonstrate the glory of God? Or is it meant to gain the accolades of my peers? Am I doing acts of service that may be good, but they have become impure because of the pride in my heart? At this point, I would like us to turn to Scripture right now and consider what Christ says about this. If you would, take your copy of God's Word and open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is right in the middle of Matthew's account of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And here we find Jesus taking a direct shot at the religious celebrities of the day, the Pharisees. As you know, the Pharisees were the religious elite. They were the ultimate example of piety that should be followed. At least that's what they wanted people to think. They fastidiously practiced every outward display of righteousness that was prescribed by the law. They prayed, they fasted, they gave, yet, as we see in the Gospels, Christ was not in the least bit impressed with their outward religion. So if you would, please follow along with me, starting in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6. These are the words of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your Father, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Skip down and look at verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others truly I say to you they have received their reward but when you fast anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Christ here in chapter 6 talks about three acts of Christian service on the Lord or three different spiritual disciplines. These three acts of services, of service to God, they're, they're good things. 
They're actually prescribed by our Father in heaven. They're even necessary for the health of believers, and walking faithfully in them can be pleasing to our God. Yet, these very same outward acts can also quickly become worthless in eternal value and meritless in the eyes of our Lord. There's one key element that separates these acts from being eternally valuable or utterly worthless. There's a key distinction, and this key distinction has everything to do with whose notice we are trying to gain. The difference is all about whose audience is being sought after. The Pharisees' desired audience for all of their outward religion was definitely not Christ. These direct shots Christ delivers to the hypocritical religious showmen would have been about as controversial back then as it would be for someone today to criticize their sister on Facebook and tell her that her posts are narcissistic and nauseating. Christ was trampling on some serious pride by boldly and unashamedly pointing out the dangerous sin of religious hypocrisy. Without a doubt, the Pharisees were busy at the work of doing religious duties, but it was for the praise of man. And as we see in the Gospels, they really hated Christ for calling them out on it, so much so that they crucified him for it. Lest we have a prideful view of the Pharisees, brothers and sisters, it can easily be the same for us. We, too, can be busy about our Christian lives, doing Christian things that point back to us instead of our king and our heart attitudes. According to Christ's words here in Matthew 6, what happens when we do that? What happens if we are busy about Christian duty that is fueled by the longing to be noticed and praised by others for what we are doing? What is it that Christ says in these passages, in this passage? Christ says that is all the reward we will get the fleeting notice, and the praise of man. That's it. A moment of temporary recognition for our hypocrisy that somehow impresses a few onlookers. Have you ever stopped and thought about just how fleeting and temporary the approval and recognition of man is? My boys have heard me bring this example up more times than they probably would like to hear. But I want to show you what I think is a great example of just how passing man's praises. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. I don't want you to Google the answers. I don't want anybody shouting the answers out loud, but I, I want you to just see how temporary the praise of man is. Who here knows who won the World Series in 2011? If it wasn't the team you root for, probably nobody in this room. Who knows who, who, knows who won the Super Bowl in 1999? Probably no one. What about Wimbledon? in 1986. No one. On Wednesday, I unfortunately admitted that I did not know who just recently won the World Cup, and I was quickly heckled and informed that it was Argentina. Thank you, Alvin. <laughs> but I can pretty much guarantee 16 years from now, if you are not a fan of Ar Argentina soccer, you will have no clue who won the World, Cu World Cup in 2022. The point is this, even if you are truly the best at whatever it is that you are good at, if you are doing it for the praise of man, 
eventually nobody is going to care and nobody will remember and ultimately it won't have any eternal value. And this is what Christ is getting at. He says, are you so-called serving me for the approval of others? What does he say? Truly, you have received your reward in full. That's it. That's all you get. A fleeting vapor of acknowledgement from fickle humans. There's no denying the consequences of this type of motivation. Christ said it three times in the passage we just considered. I'll review it with you one more time. Verse 2. Do you give generously so that people will notice you and think well of you? That's your reward. You've received it. Verse 5 says, do you pray so people will notice how eloquent or knowledgeable or pious you are? Christ says, you have received your reward. Verse 16, do you fast in a way that people will admire your spirituality? You have received your reward. Is any of your religion merely external for the notice and attention of people? You have received your reward. That stings. What's our, what is our, our, our alternative then? How do we avoid finding ourselves guilty of this same type of self-glorifying pride? What does Christ say? I'm glad there is an alternative. Serve the Lord in gladness. Discreetly serve him in secret. Do it for your king. Do it humbly. Why do we do it? Because of who he is and what he has done. The only reason we are able to do it is because of his power. We do it for his gaze. We do it for his notice. We do it for his approval. And you know what you will receive? Christ just told us in Matthew chapter 6. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Christ also repeated this promise three times in the verses we read. Verse 3, when you give, give in secret for the Lord. Be so discreet that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. And when you do, your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to Jehovah. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verses 17 and 18, when you fast, brighten your face. Don't bring attention to what you're doing. And when your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. When you teach, do it for the Lord. When you cook a meal for someone who is sick, do it for the Lord. When you're raising your children, do it for the Lord. When you forgive your brother or sister, do it for the Lord. When you share whatever gift that God has blessed you with, do it for the Lord. And do it in gladness. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness, not grudgingly or gloomily, but gladly. And when he sees your heart toward him and serving him gladly and discreetly, he will reward you. What are these rewards, you may ask? Well, we know some of them, according to verse 20, are eternal. These rewards are greater than we can think or imagine. I can't tell you exactly what those things will be. I just know that they're going to be incredible. In this life, though, we do receive rewards from our Lord. It can be a large number of things, becoming more like Christ, more conformed to his image. We can gain more peace, more joy, a reward of seeing others' lives blessed, a reward of 
being able to be a part of people's hearts and minds, change to worship their Lord and follow after him, these are rewards worth pursuing. You know, God takes great joy in his people serving him from a pure heart. And he also takes great joy in rewarding his people for their faithful service. Our God takes great joy in rewarding his people for their faithful service. Church, it is right and pure to serve the Lord with a desire and even an expectation of reward from him. Some people have mistakenly called that motivation legalism. This is not at all legalism, brothers and sisters. That is completely wrong. The Lord rewarding his people for serving him purely and faithfully out of his power, that's grace in our lives. It is grace that we're able to serve him with a pure heart. It's grace that we have the ability to serve him at all. And it's incredible grace that he rewards us for the very thing he has empowered us to do. We're not talking about earning our salvation here, folks. We're talking about being faithful to the good works he has designed for us in our salvation. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand for us that we should walk in those works. And then he rewards us for what he prepared for us. That's incredible grace. Moving on, I'd like to take a moment and address another false understanding of Christian service that has become very prevalent in the evangelical church culture at large. And unfortunately, many of us have, whether we know it or not, been affected by this idea of service and ministry. There is a large swath of the evangelical church culture, whether it is intentional or unintentional. This swath of church culture projects and communicates ministry and service to be something that is always outward, something it has always seen. They do this in a way that projects ministry to be organized. It's through slick marketing. It has a catchy name. There's always official titles of duties and roles and platforms, book titles, Bible studies, and large conferences. Ministry and service has become equated with programs. I've spoken with many believers who have unfortunately been influenced by this idea, and they think that for them to be useful unto the Lord, that they have to have some title of ministry, like usher, a pastor, small group leader, Sunday school teacher. While all of these are legitimate ways to serve, there are many, many, many other ways to serve Christ's church without being a part of an officially titled ministry. God has chosen us. He has saved us, and his word tells us that he's given each of us spiritual gifts for serving his body and building up. That's what Pastor Paul read out of Romans 12 this morning. It taught us the necessity of all of our giftings working together in service to Christ's body. You do not need a title to serve Christ's body. You do not need a platform or be a speaker to be a or be a teacher to serve Christ's people. You do not need to be gifted in the same way that others are gifted to be able to serve Christ's people. Service and ministry is loving God and his people and finding ways to meet the needs of Christ's church with the gifting that he has especially blessed you with. J.I. Packer once said, the most significant gifts in the church's life 
in every era of time are ordinary natural abilities that have been sanctified. So if you, brother or sister, have the temptation to compare yourself to others and to their giftings, stop it. Don't do that. The Spirit has specifically endowed you with the exact ability and gift he has seen fit to give to you, and it is perfect for the service of his body. Members of FCC here this morning, your gifts are especially for Christ's church here at FCC for such a time as this. There's another fact that we need to keep in mind as we consider our heart attitude in serving God and his people. Service to our king much of the time is not noticed, and that's okay. This helps keep our pride in check, helps keep us focused in the right direction, and it can keep us from looking at others and wondering why they're not serving like we are. Serving is often, serving is often just a quiet obedience to our king. It can often be thankless, not recognized, or overlooked. It's often difficult and even mundane. So do not equate serving your king with titles and physical talents, great programs. However he has gifted you to serve, do it faithfully. Not looking for man's approval, notice, or accolades. Serve your God looking for his reward and his glory. It is the only reward that will truly last. In Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he has a whole chapter on serving. I wanted to share with you a few thoughts that he has about the difficulty of serving and what we can expect in our service to the Lord. He says, Paul described his service to God with these words in Colossians 1.29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. The word toil means to work out to the point of exhaustion. While from the Greek word translated struggling comes our word agonize. So for Paul to serve God was to agonize to the point of exhaustion. But listen, that doesn't mean his ministry was miserable toil. In fact, the reason Paul worked so hard was because the only thing he loved more than serving God was God himself. God supplies us with the desire and power to serve him, and then we struggle in service with all his energy that he powerfully works in us. True ministry is never forced out by the strength of the flesh, but do not misunderstand. The result of his power working mightily in us frequently feels like toil. That means when you serve the Lord, it will often be hard. Like Paul, sometimes your service will also be agonizing and exhausting. It will take your time. It will often prove more stressful than other ways you could invest your life. And if for no reason other than the fact that it means you're serving people when you're serving God. But despite all that, remember, Whitney says, service that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And even though serving God can be agonizing and exhausting work, it is also the most fulfilling and rewarding kind of work. It truly is. Brothers and sisters, I pray that today you will be able to comprehend what a wonderful gift of grace it is to serve our king and also be rewarded by him for it. He is the one that empowers you to do it. 
Guard your hearts from the ever-present temptation to gain the approval of man. It is fleeting and ultimately worthless. Remember the value of seeking God's approving gaze. His gaze grants eternal benefits. So serve him with gladness and glad you will be. Although it can be extremely difficult and exhausting at times, there is no greater fulfillment in this life. Remember the promises from Hebrews 6.10 and Ephesians 6.6-8. 6, 6 For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. If you are here today and you have never called out to Christ and believed in him as your Savior and your God, trusting in his free gift of grace for the forgiveness of your sins, I urge you, do so today. For you, there is nothing that you can do to please God. You cannot earn your own righteousness. There's no amount of good things you can do to become clean enough for God's approval. That is why Christ died and took on the sins of the world as a payment for the penalty of sin that we all deserve. It is his righteousness that is your only hope. So please, if you have not done so already, call out to Christ to clothe you in his pure righteousness and forgiveness. Christ tells us in the book of John that all who come to him, he will never reject. I would like to end our time in God's word this morning by pointing our thoughts to one of my favorite passages that I find myself returning to over and over and over again when I am thinking about my own heart attitude and service. May we go out today full with this being the meditation of our heart, so please turn to Philippians chapter 2. And this is our perfect example of serving God and serving others. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please pray with me. Lord, everything, absolutely everything that we have is from you. The desire to come here today the ability to sing your praises, the ability to serve our families and one another, 
the strength in our bodies to do those things, the spiritual enlightenment from your spirit. All of these things are gifts from your good hand. Lord, I pray that we would not be a people that are caught up with the cares of this world and the cares of the approval of man, but we would long to see your economy of things practice in our lives, in our homes, and in this church, that we would seek to please you, to honor you with the things that you've given us. Lord, that we would see great reward in this life and the next, that we would have great peace even in the toil and the difficulty of work that you've provided for us. Lord, that we would see that there is life in us losing our lives for your sake. Please grow your church. Please shine upon us and lead us with your right hand, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you please stand.